Grace, mercy, and peace be yours this day from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, grace, mercy, and peace. Uh, maybe those are words that we won't take for granted when some of the stuff blows over, right? Ah, uh, wow. If you're following us through the story, we are in the book of Ruth. Uh, and uh, we are going through that chapter. And yes, we'll probably talk a little bit about the coronavirus. How can we not? But uh, we certainly don't want that to be the only thing that drives our conversation. And it won't. I remember when I was in college, gearing up for one of our final exams, I was rushing through everything around me, looking through the desk, pencils, uh, looking through the drawers for a pencil, trying to find something I could use to take the test. And I was already late, so really I was just in a big hurry. Looked through my book bag, checked to see if I left it inside of one of my books. I even emptied out the laundry because you never know, I might have had one in my pocket. And finally, I was frustrated. I remember my roommate saying, Jake, what are you doing? What's the matter? I said, man, I can't find my pencil. Have you seen one? Can I borrow one? He just kind of stopped and laughed. He said, Jake, relax. What? I said, I need a pencil. He said, no, no. Look, what's in your hand? Oh, I had to chuckle, right? (laughs) Sure enough, there in the middle of my hand was the pencil that I was looking for. But I was so busy looking for it, I missed it when it was right in front of me. Yeah, those frustrations when you lose things. We lose stuff all the time, right? We lose our pencils. We lose our keys and our wallet. Whenever we do, we have the I lost something dance where we're patting our pockets, maybe the pocket on our chest or inside of our jacket. And uh, man, that's frustrating. It's annoying when we try to, to look for something and we've, we've lost it. Yeah, we know what it's like to lose things. But in thinking about the book of Ruth, you might say that the book is really about loss. There's a lot of loss that happens. It's, it's not a positive book in terms of the beginning, for sure. Uh, what do we know about it? There's not much about dating. All that we do know is that it happened in the time of the judges. So we don't know exactly when. It could have been before Gideon. It could have been after Samson. Not, not really sure. But it happened to that same time period. And, and that is important because we know from the book of Judges that during that time frame, uh, it was kind of chaotic, right? People weren't really following a central leader. It was always changing. They were always falling and worshiping the false gods. And there was this times of, of things being in a high note and times when it was ultimately chaotic again, where uh, they were able to rule and reign well in Israel, and then others were ruling and reigning in Israel. This back and forth kind of situation. And we also see a different refrain in the book of Judges, where it says, everyone was doing right in their own eyes. So everyone was doing what they thought was good. But there wasn't a central law or central central teaching or a central leader that they were following. They certainly weren't following God. So if you can imagine what every single person was doing was what they thought was right, man, that would be chaotic, right? Almost kind of like, hmm, what we see people doing now, morally speaking, uh, doing whatever they wanted. So it's in this kind of, of thing where this is all starting to happen. And so that's where maybe it doesn't seem so hard to believe that this is taking place because in a lot of senses, God was allowing this to happen so that they would return. So this is one of those moments as during the time of uh, Naomi and Ruth where uh, the land dried up, famine, famine in the land. And that's not uncommon. We see it happen with Abraham. We happened during Jacob's time. 
where Joseph finally rose to power, and it's happening here too. A famine in the land, but that says something because it means that this land that was supposed to be flowing with milk and honey, remember that was the promise. It's not flowing with milk and honey anymore. It's stopped. And so where is Naomi going to go with her husband, Elimelech? Uh, great name, right? It means God is king. Oh, great name. God is king. He's the one who's in, tro- in control. He's the sovereign God. So what are they going to have to do? Naomi and Elimelech, God is king. They're going to have to take their two boys. They're going to go to another land. They have to leave the promised land and find food amongst the Moabites. When they get there, they find that there's some wives available for the two sons. They fall in love, and there you have it. You have uh, Orpah, and you have Ruth. So the family, at least, is together. They might not have food. They might not have land. They had to sell their land. Uh, they, have, they have nothing, but at least they have one another. Until, and this is where the loss comes into play. They lose the land. They lose everything they have. And now they're going to lose Elimelech. God is king, dies. I mean, oh, Think about that. That's just a horrible thought to have, but he does. And then the two brothers die too. So this leads Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth, all without any kind of heir or any kind of male to claim the land in Israel when things get turned around. But it also means they don't have anybody to take care of them. They have no children. They have no sons. There's nobody else for the two to marry. And so what's left for them to do but to part ways. Now, see, there is a law in Israel's history, if you read the book of Leviticus, that talks about the land. Actually, if you sell it, you're not able to permanently sell it. You will be able to get it back. If you have somebody set up as a kinsman redeemer, somebody that belongs to the family, a brother or something like that, they can then purchase it for you. And uh, they can also uh, kind of allow for a future family to be made through this individual on behalf of the brother by marrying the daughters and so on and so forth. But unless you have that kinsman redeemer, you really can't get the land. You as a, as a woman, you're not able to own the land. So there's really no reason for Naomi to bring the two daughters back. She doesn't have a son that she can give to one of those two. She doesn't have an heir to the land. There's nothing she can offer them. So what she tells them is that Orpah and Ruth, that you should go home. You're better off looking for a husband among your own people, your own cultures, your own gods, kind of going your own way than to follow me. I've got nothing left to offer. Orpah realizing the writing on the wall, so to speak, even though it's not God's writing, uh, she kind of gives it, gives in and goes along with this line and she says, okay. And she weeps with Naomi. She loves Naomi, but she figures that probably is the best solution. And she goes home. But then you have Ruth. See, she's not going to go along with it. She knows that she made a vow. Not just to her husband. She made a vow to the family. This is now her family. She has left her family to cleave to her new family. And even though Naomi is the only one left, she is going to give everything that she can for her sake. No, Naomi, I'm not. Your land is my land. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. This is a confession that she has made. And she is not going to back off from this. And we are going to see that God is going to bless this great confession. Not only is he going to bless Ruth, but God is going to bless Naomi as well. 
By this act, Naomi and her line is going to be saved. How? Well, that's the next part of the story. We see the great promise that's being made here, but then we're also going to see that this story of loss is turned into a great story of redemption, where um, Naomi and Ruth come back. They come back to the land because they hear that things are are going well. So they do what anybody would do in their circumstances. They're going to glean the fields. Uh, this also was something that God had put in place for the sake of the widows and individuals that, that don't have families or, or land. Gleaning basically went like this. After a family or the individuals that owned the land went and harvested their food, other people in the community had the chance to go out and pick up anything that was dropped. That was part of the rule. So if you were harvesting your land and you dropped stuff on the ground, you weren't able to, to scoop it up. You were to keep going uh, and leave it there for the next group, so to speak. And then after the, the widows and the orphans were allowed to go through and pick up the things that were dropped, then you'd have the sojourners, the people from other nations who would come, and they would follow afterwards. And, and they could kind of uh, pick things up too. Now, here's where it gets kind of bad is that sometimes then uh, the people that were last, the sojourners, the foreigners, they weren't always treated with respect, especially, let's just say, in moral circumstances. And um, so Ruth is really putting herself out there because she's not technically an Israelite, even though she was married into the family. So she kind of keeps her distance and she takes the later shifts, so to speak. But one day in the midst of gleaning, she uh, catches the eye of Boaz. Now, it doesn't actually say that she's that he is interested in her or anything like that, but she certainly catches his attention. And he asks the people there who she is, and they say, well, this is, this is the daughter of, of Naomi. And people know of her. They've realized the commitment. They've heard about her, so she's known. And uh, Boaz thinks this is very interesting. And then he instructs the people. He says, you know, let her let her remain with the people. Let her let her remain with the Jews. It's okay. Don't don't let her stay behind. And he tells uh, Ruth this as well. Don't don't stay behind. Go ahead and, and come on up. We don't want anything to happen to you. But then he also says something to his people. He says, you know what? If you see her, go ahead and, and take a stalk or so and, and give it to her. Uh, you don't have to wait for it to fall on the ground. Give her some of it. Um, she's doing a noble thing and take care of her. And by the way, this is what we're called to do too, is to take care of people, to be concerned for our neighbors, to love those who are entrusted to us, who maybe who aren't as well off or who aren't as cared for, people that we can love. This is what we're called to do. It's a great law that's put into place. And it's even better, an even better law when it's actually kept. So finally, this is great, right? Ruth is ecstatic. She goes home. She tells Naomi everything that's happened. And Naomi just all of a sudden starts to think about it and says, who is this uh, that talked to you? And she said, well, his name is Boaz. Oh, says Naomi, this is great. He's actually kin. If he chooses to, he can be our kinsman redeemer. So what that means is that basically he is from the same family as Elimelech, Naomi's husband. So if he chooses to, he can take on uh, the family land. But what that would mean is, is that he would have to marry Ruth. Again, Ruth is a Moabite. 
a foreigner. This might be something that people don't want to get involved with. Uh, it'd be one thing to have access to the land. Sure, I'd love to have access to the land. But to know that I'm going to have to take on another child probably through Ruth and that child actually isn't going to be mine technically, even though I'd raise it. But this child would be the child of Elimelech, bear the, that individual's name, and, and he would get all that inheritance. So when you really think about it from Boaz's perspective, Sure, he could learn to love his wife, but he really doesn't get anything, per se, out of the deal. The land wouldn't stay with his family. It goes to Elimelech. But Naomi says, you need to find out. You need to ask. Dress yourself up nice. Put some perfume on. Go and lay at his feast when he's out, at his feet when he's out there in the field, basically. Show him that you're available. And uh, bring this stuff up to him and see what he says. He'll tell you what to do next. And so she does it. And Boaz says something very interesting. He says, you know, you're an honorable woman for not going after the younger man. That's really what he says. But instead... You're helping your mother-in-law. So I guess Boaz is a little bit older than her. But he said, you know what? There's actually someone that's closer in terms of kin than me. Let me go ask him if he's willing to do it. If he's not willing, I will. Turns out that other individual doesn't want to marry Ruth. He said he can't. It could be that he has another wife. And of course, that wife would get jealous. And we don't need to go there, do we? Uh, But uh, here we have Boaz that says, yes, I'll do it. So they get married and they have a child. And Naomi is taking care of this woman that had the story of loss, how everything was completely gone. Everything was, was no longer in her name and she didn't have access to anything. But now, because of the faith of Ruth and, and what Boaz was willing to do as a redeemer, she now has a future. Ruth has a future. There's now hope. I want us to think about that. Because we've all experienced loss from time to time, right? I mean, we know what it's like to lose a car, mechanical issues. (laughs) We know what it's like to perhaps lose a job. We know what it's like to, to lose a loved one or see that loved one lose their memory. Come on now. We know what it's like to see a nation lose their sense of peace. Yeah. We know loss. We know it well. But this story points us to a bigger one. This story points us to the love of Jesus. Where Jesus coming in the flesh to Mary and Joseph, what would seem like a bunch of nobodies. And of course, this story would seem like a story of loss where bound about his 33rd year would go to the cross and die. But This isn't a story of loss, is it? No, this is a story of redemption. This is a story of God's plan in place for the sake of his people. While you and I would be people who were lost, lost in our sin, lost in death, lost with the rest of the world, completely isolated from God in our sin. But this story turns into a story of redemption where we are what? Freed from the sins that are entangled us. Freed from the spiritual starvation of this world. Freed from the hands of the evil one. We have been fully redeemed, paid for in its entirety by the precious blood of Jesus. 
where you might feel like Naomi and everything of the past has led to the great loss that you have experienced or are experiencing or may experience in the future. But what this tells us is that we are not lost, but we are in the hands of the great Redeemer who vows to redeem us. He pays for us, even if it means sacrificing himself. Even if it means sacrificing himself. Because when the Savior looks at us, he doesn't see his love as being wasteful, but grace-filled. He desires to have a relationship with us. Friends, this is the kind of stuff that we need to be thinking about, uh, that we need to keep in front of us, especially as we are going through times like these, right? In the midst of all of the chaos, in the midst of all of the wondering, we need to turn back to this particular story where we remember that our God has us. Yes, we continue to make good decisions. We use our heads, but we are not lost. We are always in the hands of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.